Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. When Trump won the election in 2016, I was, like most people, aghast. And I started to, you know, do research into it and found all of the ties between the Trump campaign and Russia. At this moment in history, the Republican Party of the United States holds with Putin and with dictators around the world. And, uh, you know, that's what we're dealing with in the United States right now. Hello and welcome to Behind the Lines, the geopolitics podcast with me, Arthur Snell. I'm a former diplomat who now works as a consultant, writer and podcaster. In this podcast, I'll be talking to the best informed people out there about geopolitics, about the big things shaking our world now and about the things that will be in the future. We're going Behind the Lines. In this episode, I wanted to go back to something that Paul Mason said in our podcast a couple of weeks ago, which struck a chord. He identified that the weakest link in international democratic politics is the world's greatest democracy itself, the United States. Just to quote Paul, the key to the international situation is America. We could wake up in November 2024 with Trump as president, and that is a legitimation of insurrectionary politics. So that led me to this week's interview. Greg Oliar is an American novelist, podcaster and commentator on political affairs. He has a substack and his podcast, Prevail, can be found in all the usual places. Greg has focused heavily on the current crisis in American politics, as well as the complicated history of President Trump's links to Russia and the degree to which that still matters. I hope you get as much from the discussion as I did. Greg, welcome to Behind the Lines. Arthur, thanks for having me. Now, I, I initially discovered you because you write some very interesting things online. You have a Substack, uh, and you you comment incisively and intriguingly on American political events. But uh, tell my listeners a bit about yourself and how you come to be where you are now. Yeah, thank you for saying that because I I, I value your opinion uh, on such matters uh, a lot. So coming from you, it means a lot. Uh, to hear that. I, um, you know, I'm a novelist by training, but I've always written little columns about politics, usually in election years. And um, when Trump won the election in 2016, I was like most people aghast. And I started to, you know, do research into it and found all of the ties between the Trump campaign and Russia, you know, Putin's government and stuff like that, which he had been denying. And I wrote some columns about it and I realized that uh, people weren't really paying enough attention to it because it was too complicated. So I wrote a very short book called Dirty Rubles, an introduction to Trump Russia with the aim of just trying to dumb it down and simplify it in a very, very easy way. Explain to people what, what was going on with this guy and how dangerous he was and what a threat he was to democracy, uh, not just for the United States, but for everywhere. Um, you know, I, and, it turned out to be exactly, unfortunately, what I thought, which is that he's absolutely a threat to democracy. Um, he spent four years in office, you know, kind of 
taking a sledgehammer to NATO uh, to disastrous results and all, all kinds of things that he did. So after I wrote that book, then Substack sort of emerged and I started to do a Substack at the end of 2019. So I published that three times a week and I have a podcast, which you've uh, come on a couple of times. Always nice to have you on there. That's called Prevail and that's available wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, I also have a live YouTube show uh, with my friend Stephanie Koff, which you've also been on, called The 5-8 on Friday nights, which is on very late in the UK, unfortunately. But it's, it, yeah. you can always get it as a, as a watch again thing. So um, You can, Yeah, yes. I encourage everyone, check out Greg's podcast, his YouTube show, and his Substack. Now, Greg, we are uh, talking in the light of, of frankly, uh, horrific events in Israel, um, Hamas sort of surged over into southern Israel. A lot of things that remain unclear, but it is very clear that um, Israel was blindsided. And that means, of course, Israel's famous intelligence agencies were blindsided. But of course, another country that was blindsided is Israel's biggest ally, the United States. And something that I noted and, and I retweeted, which I'm, I'm mentioning this because I think it illustrates the thing we're going to talk about, which is the uh, the challenges in U.S. politics at the moment. So thanks to near broken confirmation process, the U.S. does not currently have an ambassador in any of the following countries, Israel, Egypt, Lebanon, Oman and Kuwait. There is no confirmed top U.S. aid official for the Middle East for nearly three years. There's no State Department coordinator for counterterrorism for nearly two years. And of course, uh, alongside all of that, there's a whole list of senior military appointments that can't get through. And I mention that because it shows the way in which uh, the craziness of kind of MAGA domestic politics can have a global impact. Um, so I suppose straight from the, from the top there, uh, tell us a bit about this this problem in the Senate and why America can't currently make these vital senior appointments. Well, for one thing, the Senate is, it's a, it's always a problem. It's a flaw in our political system, which is generally pretty decent. But the Senate, the way that it's written is that every state in the union gets two senators, whether the state is California, which I think has what the fourth largest economy or the sixth or whatever it is on earth or Wyoming, which has like, you know, a half a million people. Everybody gets two senators and therefore it's sort of inherently, um, rigged in favor of Republicans, conservatives, the right wing, whatever you want to call it. And individual senators, as the system now holds, they have to approve uh, appointments. So the ambassadorships that you mentioned all have to be approved by the Senate. Some of the, 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 the larger military appointments have to be approved by the Senate. Most of the time, this is boilerplate stuff. The president nominates somebody who's eminently qualified. There's a very short hearing. Everybody votes yes or enough people do, and that's it. It's really a formality and it's designed to, or it's intended to, you know, if there's somebody really bad or corrupt or whatever for the Senate to say, well, what are you doing? You can't have this guy. Guy. But the way that the system works now is the Republicans in Congress are they exist to obstruct everything that the Democrats are doing. Joe Biden, of course, is a Democrat, um, you know, from the Democratic Party. Uh, he, the Senate wants him to be a one term president. They are more concerned with defeating him and stopping anything the Democrats want to do at all, whether it's gun control, which the Democrats have tried time and again to achieve in the Senate, just won't allow people to even vote on it, uh, whether it's funding the government, which we're, you know, we're having problems with now, too. They don't care. They just want everything to grind to a halt. And historically, you know, there's always been division in the United States. Obviously, we had a civil war in the 1860s. But even in the years leading up to the Civil War, there's always been compromise. The, the people in the Congress have always uh, held that the, the union was more important than their own petty grievances. They got together and they made compromises. If you read history books about the period before the Civil War, there's the Compromise of 1850 and so on and so on. That has gone away. There is no more move to compromise. The Republicans don't want to compromise. They refuse to do it. Um, all they care about is destroying Biden. And actually, all they care about is, um, you know, denying aid to uh, Ukraine. When the shutdown 
almost happened a couple weeks ago, which was um, the Senate approved um, the Congress in the United States controls the purse. So any expenditures have to go through Congress and be approved by Congress. Biden cannot unilaterally, you know, pay anybody. Um, So if Congress doesn't fund the bills, then nothing gets done or nothing gets, gets paid. Um, The Senate, uh, passed the bill, the House refused to vote on it, and eventually, um, and this is the fault of the Speaker of the House, who at the time was Kevin McCarthy, uh, because he wouldn't vote on it, everything almost came to a standstill, and as it came out in the reporting, the one thing that the Republicans in Congress wanted uh, was no more aid to Ukraine. They definitely don't want that because, um, you know, they're fascists, and ideologically, at this moment in history, the Republican Party of the United States holds with Putin and with dictators around the world. And, uh, you know, that's what we're dealing with in the United States right now. So, and, you know, Hamas, we, you know, you mentioned the, the horrible attacks on which I, I can't even wrap my brain around how awful that is, frankly. It's just unimaginably awful. Uh, and my sympathies to everybody out there, you know, dealing with this. Um, Hamas is tight with the, the with Moscow. They're, they're tight with Iran. These are enemies of the United States historically that the Republican Party uh, and specifically the Republicans in Congress seem to be perfectly fine with. And um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ahead. And, and that, that I want to sort of go in a bit of a deep dive on some of that stuff, because as you mentioned, that the, 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 the near miss on a government shutdown had one result, which is that you don't have a speaker. Uh, and, and of course, um, the 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 speaker is not just a sort of guy who's who you know wields a gavel and heads up some committees now and then you know this is a constitutionally significant role if i'm not mistaken this is it's never before have you not had a speaker i mean this this in itself is a is a unique moment unless there's some weird period that i'm unaware of no this is this is a historical anomaly and they got rid of the guy kevin kevin mccarthy is awful and he's a trumpy guy and he's he's he was terrible but the, the main function of the Speaker of the House is to, like, bring bills forward. They control the committees. There's lots of things that they do. They set the agenda of the entire thing. And they got the, a small faction of hard right hardliners all aligned with Trump sort of joined forces to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. Now there's talk of, you know, this other guy named Jim Jordan. I don't know if people in the UK know who he is. He's the um, one who makes Ke- Kevin McCarthy look mainstream. He makes Kevin McCarthy look mainstream. He's a he's a troglodyte, really. I mean, if you look at a picture of the guy, he's just a you know a Cro-Magnon congressman. But he's also corrupt. Like he, there's a big scandal when he was an assistant wrestling coach at Ohio State, where the the team doctor, um, you know, wound up going to jail for sexually abusing some 177 wrestling uh, kids that were in that program. It's Many, you know, a number of them have testified that Jordan knew about it. He did nothing. Um, he denies it. But there's lots of stuff around that. So he's a guy who um, who knows how to just turn the other way when bad stuff is happening. He's also intimately involved in the January 6th uh, insurrection. Like there's, you know, there was coordination between him and Trump. We don't yet know to what extent. So him taking over as speaker would be a catastrophe. Um you know, so I don't know. I, I have no idea where this is going to go, but it's not great. And I, maybe I'm just I've just got Russia on the mind. But it seems to me that that, you know, which has the effect of kind of taking us out of action for some time because we can't send funds in um, combined with the uh, in Ukraine and Kherson and, and other cities, the absolute, you know, uptick of, ter- of just flat out terrorist attacks by the Russians just blowing up like apartment buildings and hotels and hospitals and funerals um, with no military purpose whatsoever. Um, then the Nagorno-Karabakh thing where the Russians stood down and allowed the, the Azeris to move in. And, and now this, this situation in Israel, um, which again has some sort of Russian involvement in it because of the Hamas-Russia connection. It's hard for me not to look at that all of one piece and say, this is Putin, you know, kind of pushing the levers here, trying to distract from, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and his miserable failure there. So Yeah, well, it's certainly the, um, if you think how central Iran has become to supplying Russia, you know, with drones and and so on, and then there's also reporting I saw in the Wall Street Journal today saying that senior Iranians were in a meeting in Beirut with Hamas where they kind of signed off the battle plan 
uh, and that was only you know a few days ago, um, it, it's hard not to conclude that there is this kind of triangu- triangulation going on. Um, but you mentioned uh, the, the 6th January, the insurrection. And I want to sort of go back to that because um, for, for most observers and maybe for, for most Americans, there was obviously the awful moment of wondering whether literally your democracy would sort of collapse in, in a violent insurrection. And then there was the realisation that, that the insurrection had failed and for a very short space of time people reacting in a way that you'd expect them to and even hardline trump supporters as you would expect when you've encountered violence including a threat to to you know to be killed because of course the the mob were perfectly happy to kill republicans as well um that you you saw this you you thought well this is the end of the trump story you know we we didn't know how it was going to end was it going to end with just a straight election defeat or does it end in some other ignominious way? Well, it ends with the failure of an insurrection. And here we are now, and Donald Trump is absolutely in the lead to, to be the next nominee. You have his people in Congress, as you've just described, unseating the Speaker, people like Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, you know, some real head headbangers. Um, so what what is the answer to the question? which is why did the Republican Party not discard Donald Trump on the 7th of January? This is a, this is a great question. And the, the actual question is why didn't they discard him after the first impeachment in January of 2020? Yeah. Because they had a beautiful reason to do it. They had an off-ramp right then. Had they done that in that moment, um, this was the first impeachment. All it, would, it was going to require... I think a three quarter Senate vote to get rid of him. If, if the Republicans in the Senate had been like, all right, enough of this guy, he would be gone. Pence would have been president right before the pandemic started. So Pence nominally was in charge of the pandemic response in the United States, which by the way, was awful. Um, but Trump was really the guy calling the shots, denying it, making it political, making, you know, wearing masks and this other stuff, you know, political. It became a culture war debate, didn't it? You could tell someone's politics by whether they had a mask on. Exactly. And, and getting vaccinated once the vaccine was rolled out, even though Rupert Murdoch was one of the first humans on earth to get vaccinated. Okay. So the he knows damn well that the vaccines work, but they just kept this going and kept it going and had Pence been president, maybe it would have been different. I don't know. Maybe he would have done a better job with the pandemic and he would have won uh, mm. and beaten Biden. He was certainly yeah. younger, you know, and Biden at that time was kind of an upstart. We, you know, I wanted Kamala Harris to be the, the nominee and, and uh, I, I supported Biden, but I was like, ah, I don't know. This is whatever. He's been, he's vastly out, outperformed in my view. I, I think he's uh, he's the best president we've had in my lifetime. I'm 50 years old. He's, he's better than anybody, which is a, a surprise to me, frankly. But uh, why didn't they get rid of him then? And the answer, I'm not sure, but I, I've asked a lot of people that come on my podcast this question. And one uh, sort of ex-Republican said, it's because they need the votes. They cannot win elections without Trump's people. Because the Republicans, the old school Republicans, kind of the the not crazies, um, you know, th- that's a dwindling minority now. Most people, especially young people, don't fall into that line. Most people want gun control. They want health care. They want, uh, you know, women to have abo- uh, the right to an abortion and stuff like that, which are things that the, Re- you know, Republicans oppose. So they can't win elections, big elections, national elections without the Trump people. The Trump voters are different. A lot of them are people that didn't vote before and are only voting because they like Trump and this and that. And so now what what you see is, uh, you know, these candidates that they're running are trying to do the Trump thing without being Trump. So they're trying to create a personality cult while being themselves devoid of personality, which doesn't, you know, doesn't work very well. So I don't know why they didn't jettison him then. They should have. It would have been even tactically the smarter thing to do, because I do think Pence would have had a better shot at at winning than, than Trump did even. Um, why don't they jettison him now? I think a lot of, of, of Republicans have left the party. I think when they say, oh, he's the Republican nominee. Yeah, who's left, though, there in that party? It's, it's just, you know, most of it is MAGA people that are always going to vote for the guy. And I guess the, um, the, the challenge is, and it comes back to your description of the Senate, that, of course, the Electoral College, although not quite as extreme, has a similar tendency to favor conservative districts, to favor... Um, uh, you know, predominantly kind of rural areas. And therefore, although 
as as everybody knows, you know, the, the Republicans have not won the popular vote in a presidential election. I think what since since John Kerry's run. Um, I think I think Bush I think Bush won the popular vote in oh four. I th- yeah, think yeah against yeah. Kerry right. But, That's yeah. a very long time. Yeah yeah. Uh, and yet they've they've won the presidency a few times. So that that is the risk that that he it's and I suppose the thing with the thing with the second Trump presidency, it seems to me that it's yes the polling points probably to to Biden having a lead, but obviously Biden's very old. Uh, things can go badly wrong. You know, the economy can tank. You can have um, any number of sort of external shocks, which can which can sort of create an, uh, a presidential election. And then, and then, so what? What? What would we envisage for a second Trump term? Because I think what we've learned now, uh, with various books have come. You know, there's Bob Woodward and there's Michael Wolff and there's all kinds of great writers have sort of have presented this narrative, which tells us that the Trump presidency, as as bad as it was, was basically, in a way, when Trump goes on about the deep state, he's kind of right. There were people who were holding him back. Um, so how how would they manage that next time round? I think now, I, first of all, I don't, I don't even want to think about this, Arthur. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> this is bad. Um, and I should talk for one second before I answer yeah. your question about the Electoral College, because I know people listening to it, they, it's, the way it works is that every state has a certain number of electoral votes. And if you win that state, you win that number of votes. And it's just this convoluted math problem. And, you know, in the United States, we're used to it, but it must sound completely stupid and ridiculous in Europe or anywhere else to be like, Hillary Clinton won the election by 2.8 million votes, but she doesn't get to be president. Yeah. Because of the, 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 the it's, it's, it's like this. Well, it's, it's certainly because if you have a presidential system, um, and obviously, you know, plenty of us in Europe still have monarchies. But if you've, if you've got the presidential system, you know, you do sort of think, well, I guess the guy who got most votes gets to be president. But it turns out, you know, it doesn't yeah, work like You that. would think that, but yeah. in a democracy, that that's how it would work. But no, no, we like to keep it just a, you know, it's almost like a reality show. Like, oh, this is the winner. Oh, wait a minute. You know, yeah. something bad for the third act. So, but to, to answer your question, uh, you know, there's lots of things that are on tap for a, a, a Trump presidency and he's going to gut the federal government, um, you know, just deregulate everything uh, and just be a hardliner. And I think, you know, where the courts are going in particular, um, you know, we had in the United States with the uh, the Dobbs decision reversed Roe v. Wade, which gives women a federally uh, protection, you know, abortion rights are federally protected. Now they're not anymore. It's now a state to state thing. Um, we've never had in my lifetime in the United States a right that people enjoyed and grew up with taken away. This is a, we've never had that before. So I think we're going to see more of that. I, I shudder to think about the freedom of the press and, you know, w- what he's going to do to the LGBT people, uh, that community, because, you know, fascists depend on demonizing people and, and, you know, creating splinter groups and going after minorities and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he, we know he's in with Putin. Like, I don't know what more, you know, proof there has to be i i guess some people are never going to believe it but simply you know strong men like each other's company and he's clearly he likes all these strong men because they're all of a you know they have the same mindset so he's going to try to exercise as much control as he can now the good news is he's what i think 91 counts against him that he's looking at um which is a lot of counts you know it's right now as of this writing four different jurisdictions uh, have him under indictment there may be more coming um, but what's particularly the, the best way that this could end, he also has a civil trial in New York, where the, uh, which is where I live in New York State. My attorney general, James, um, has filed suit against Trump and his organization for fraud, basically. So what's going to happen there is that he, they're taking his right to run businesses in New York away, and it's going to possibly seize his assets, strip him of money, of properties, of all this stuff. And he's the judge there is is up for the fight and has issued a gag order on him. And there's certain things he has to reveal that he may not. So the funniest possible thing that can happen here is that Trump is being indicted in four jurisdictions on criminal charges. And he winds up going to jail for, for something he does in his civil case, which has no jail time because because he does something contempt of court. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, because I think if he goes to jail, I mean, that's, are people really going to vote for? I, I don't know. I know he's going to try to do the martyr thing, but I also know he is more than anything else, a coward. And I do not think he wants to go to jail. I think he, it terrifies him. Um, I have yeah. a bet with uh, with my friend Stephanie Koff, my co-host on the 5-8. She says as soon as it gets hairy, Trump is going to flee and go to the UAE or wherever. And I say he is not going to flee. He is a homebody. He doesn't like to travel. He just wants the comforts of his omelet station at Mar-a-Lago. So I don't know. We'll see. So you mentioned, yes, plenty of things could happen with Biden to torpedo that, starting with his health. He's in great health. Um, there's a concerted effort to harp on his age, which is uh, kind of a it's a dog whistle, because really what that means is we don't want the black woman to be president, do you? That's another way of saying the same thing. Uh, but, you know, he's also in very good shape and doing a very good job. The economy, the indicators are good. Um, the polling doesn't really matter right now. And, you know, good things could happen next year, too. So uh, or, or bad things for Trump, which is more likely. So I'm I'm pretty confident that Biden will be OK. Historically, incumbents rarely lose re-election in the United States. Yeah. And I guess that's part that must be one of the reasons that Trump is so bitter because he he that you know that you can tell the way he talks about other people. He hates losers. Yes. And and to be one of the small number of losers who as an incumbent lost the presidency, um well he can't he can't deal with it. So he has to claim that he didn't really lose it and it was all it was all a fake. Yeah, that's, you know, it's all about his ego and it's all about size with him too. I got the most votes. I have the biggest crowd size. My property's worth more. It's, it's all it's ever about is this little man trying to, that's why, um, you know, when the editors at Spy Magazine wrote the line about, they called him a short-fingered vulgarian in like 1980, whatever year that was, 91 or something. He got, he was furious about this and he kept like, writing letters, showing them his hands because he didn't want to be called small. Like it really, yeah. really bothered him. And like, why? <laughs> yeah. Why would you get so bad about that? It is. It, it's anyone who's had children and you, you, you see Donald Trump and we, you know, I mean, it's not nothing new about this insight, but it, it's that toddler brain, which, yeah. it, which he's never grown out of. And it's quite mysterious. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, it's, it's, it's mysterious and, and terrifying. I mean, it, he's like, you know, I think that his presidency was handled like he was like one of these, you know, useless emperors of Rome, you know, who just sort of fell into the position because he wound up there. And uh, couldn't do anything, so they surround him with people who, you know, kind of could make it okay. And, uh, you know, we're trying to not let the country go off the, the cliff in the meantime. Um, and I think some of those people, especially John Kelly, when he was the, the uh, chief of staff, you know, were pretty successful. But by the end there, I mean, everybody had, you know, good had left. Yeah. And, uh, I All think the sane, sane people had gone, and it was the nutcases. I mean, Mark Meadows was the chief of staff who... Uh, he became chief of staff because I think I, Hugo Lowell uh, told me this because he had l gotten not elected again in Congress and was floating the rumor that he was being considered for it so that he could get a better consulting job. And then the White House heard the rumors and hired him. But his assistant, Cassidy Hutchinson, who's now been in the news a lot, and she was sort of one of the stars of the J6 uh, hearings that we had in Congress last year or this summer or whatever, um, I, I really think she was running the entire country for the last three months. I mean, no joke. I think it, you know, she just made all the stuff, you know, administrative assistants really do make things work a lot of the time. And I think, yeah, 
you know, you look at it, you're like, oh my God, this is what was happening there. I I, thank God, you know. And when you see the trajectory that some of these people have been on, so Mike Flynn is someone I've always taken an interest in. Um, So he starts out, obviously, as National Security Advisor nominee for Trump. Didn't even get that far because he was on the phone to the Russians revealing sensitive intel. But the reason I've always taken an interest in him because I served in Baghdad and he was the head of the um, U.S. defense intel in Iraq at that time. And I even found myself in meetings where he was sort of in the chair or whatever. Um, And it's not like I looked at him and I thought he was an amazing guy. And and even then you could see there was a kind of slightly psychotic side to him but uh, you know i wouldn't have predicted where to get to where he is now well tell our listeners where, where is mike flynn these days well he leads this sort of insurgency group i guess you would call it you know he's he's part of this reinstall trump and he definitely to me seems very very fascist um yeah you know there, there's definitely ties between him and the QAnon conspiracy stuff it's just a lot of weirdness but you know mike flynn when he was 17 years old was arrested and you know sent to juvie uh for crimes that um he never revealed exactly what they were and he always had sort of a shady military background he was actually floated as vice as a vice presidential candidate early on in the trump campaign and i think they they did a little bit of due diligence and they were like yeah this guy cannot withstand this forget that and then, you know, he was national security advisor for, I don't know, a couple of months. Obama warned Trump specifically about Mike Flynn. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, th- the reason that that Trump wound up firing Comey is because Comey wouldn't protect Flynn. Because Trump was like, you know, go easy on him. He's a good guy, whatever he said. Um, and that led to the, to the dismissal of Comey as the director of the FBI, um, which Trump did the day before uh, Sergei Kislyak and Sergei Lavrov visited him in the Oval Office, which is horrific. And, and you know, and he gave them intelligence, by the way, related yeah. to Israel and its military capabilities regarding Iran. For all we know, Trump gave them that day what Hamas used to do the attacks. We, I don't know that. It's, it's certainly not impossible. So that's what we're dealing with. It, it is extraordinary. So let, let's talk about Trump Russia. So we both come from certain perspectives. You know, listeners may or may not be aware that I worked with Chris Steele for several years. He's a friend of mine. Um, a lot of people have uh, been very dismissive of Chris Steele. But actually, um, before his dossier found the light of day, nobody knew of any type of connectivity between uh, Donald Trump and Russia. And certainly, I mean, maybe, you know, within secret parts of the US government, people knew about it, they're investigating it. But there was no, no civilian. Remember that, you know, Chris, Chris was a civilian when he did his work. He, was, he, did, he wasn't working on the inside of a, of a government situation. And, and the four basic points that Chris, Chris identified was one, that Russia was interfering in that election. Two, it was interfering on the side of Trump. Three, that Putin knew about and was happy about this stuff. And four, that Trump knew about in some way and was also happy about it. And basically, none of those things seem to have been disproved. Uh, People go on about, you know, the so-called PP tape or whether or not Michael Cohen went to Prague. You know, but ultimately, as as anyone who's worked in intelligence will know, intelligence might be three quarters correct, 60 percent correct. You know, uh, let's look at the case study of what happened in Israel this week uh, where you know, apparently Israeli intelligence, arguably the best in the world, didn't didn't get uh, that Hamas was planning this huge operation. So intelligence can often be a bit wrong. Uh, but in this case, these kind of major elements of the story have turned out to be completely correct. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, it's right. I mean, you know, the Russian interference, the Senate um, in volume five of the Senate report on Russian interference in the 2016 election, the bipartisan report, I should add. So signed off on even by the Republicans in the Senate who were, you know, most of them horrible traitors, in my opinion, still signed off on the fact that, yes, Russia helped. Yes, um, you know, th- that's what happened. Um, Paul Manafort, who, you know, this sort of horrible guy who was brought in to run the Trump campaign, mostly because at the time in 2016, it looked like it was going to be what's called a brokered convention, where even though Trump had the delegates, he might still lose the nomination. And Paul Manafort had experience running a brokered convention before. And that was what the press sort of was talking about when he was hired. But he was hired, he was paid no money. 
And, you know, he came out of Ukraine where he was pushing the pro-Putin president guy there and, you know, sort of workshopping all of this, uh, what I call fuckery, um, that um, he used on the Trump campaign. He's close with this guy, Konstantin Kalimnik, who, according to Volume 5, is a Russian intelligence officer who specializes in tampering with elections. So that's and, worth uh, no- making a, a sort of bookmark on. So the, 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 the uh, campaign manager for Donald Trump in a bipartisan official Senate report, nothing to do with Christopher Steele, is close to a known Russian intelligence officer. Yes. Yeah. And and the, it's so strange, isn't it? Because whenever, uh, you know, for some reason, the, the mainstream, even, you know, relatively sort of centre-left media, seems to have decided that the Trump-Russia story was a hoax. Well, that's just, dis- I mean, that's disinformation. I mean, he refuted it indignantly. And I write about this even in my book, which came out in May of 2018. There's a witch hunt. It's a hoax. It's a witch hunt. It's a hoax. When the Mueller report finally came out, that was the much ballyhooed Mueller report because Mueller himself as a person was not good at public speaking. And I think maybe had his, was not in the best of health at that time. Couldn't just go in front of a microphone and say, yes, this is a blueprint for indictment. He'd done it. He refused to be clear about it. Uh, Bill Barr, who was attorney general at the time, basically lied about it and completely subverted the findings. And, you know, Trump was like, it completely exonerates me. And then the, the papers, as they do, will say, Trump says he's completely exonerated, even though the report does not exonerate him at all. To the contrary, it, it finds him guilty of, of, of all these things. Um, and Mueller felt that he could not indict him because presidents have to be impeached. Uh, but, you know, there was no no uh argument about whether or not he had done stuff that was wrong so um yeah and i to your point chris Steele was right about all this stuff um you know and we're we're grateful to him here as far as where where i sit because i think a lot of things came out of that report that uh you know were useful in in sort of putting the pieces together and that report also became um sort of fodder for these disinformation campaigns like you said people in the intelligence community which i'm not one of them but you know the, a lot of the stuff is chatter and even if you read the reports he says that it's chatter he says this may not be true you know he 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 qualifies it there are caveats the press doesn't understand this they just jump on it and you know one thing in there is disputed and therefore the whole thing is uh, that that's how these things grow so yeah uh, uh, there's a segment of the population in the united states that think that it's all a hoax even though i mean you know we watch the footage at helsinki <laughs> i mean I, I don't know you know it it, it yeah. seems pretty so unhoaxy to me the famous press conference where where putin and trump are standing and and trump is is weird sort of subdued kind of deferring to putin keeps saying Putin's made this incredible offer that he will investigate Russian interference. You think like, is this really happening? The president of the United States is thankful to the president of Russia to investigate Russia in America. I mean, it it was an unbelievable moment, really. He said that he believed, even though all of the U.S. intelligence community said it was Russia, Putin said it wasn't Russia. Therefore, Trump, you know, how could Putin be lying? Mm. Other than the fact that he lies about everything all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And and then, of course, um, the other phenomenon that obviously you've mentioned Bill Barr there. So Trump's appointee, he basically presents this very misleading kind of summary of the Mueller report. And of course, only a few people like you, Greg, actually go to read the report. Yeah. People see the summary and they go, oh, yeah, it turns out there was nothing there. And then you had investigation after investigation. There was the inspector general. There was the Durham. There were all these different things. And basically... Uh, most of those got nowhere. And I think in Durham in particular, it's worth saying a bit about him because he he kind of humiliated himself, didn't he? Yeah, that was a, I, I think that was a thing Trump wanted. My read on that is Trump wanted to investigate the investigators. Yes. And uh, Barr, I mean, Bill Barr has been, there was a piece in the Village Voice in 1992, I think, mm. calling him the cover-up, uh, the cover-up general. Or something like that, and uh, so he's got he, previous. <laughs> he, yeah, but he was the attorney general under H. W. Bush and was involved in like all the Iran Contra stuff, you right. know, making that go bye bye, and some of the, the the banking scandals that were happening at that time. What's the BCCI? I oh, think BCCI, yeah. which has a strong British angle as well. So yeah, yeah, so he he was involved in covering up that. Like this is what this guy does, and then he only became attorney general because he wrote this very public like. 
you know, kind of treatise in defense of Trump. And Trump was like, oh, I got to hire this guy. He flattered me. And, uh, you know, Barr is really good at throwing people off the scent. And, um, you know, I don't know why. I, I really I can't figure that guy out, to be honest. I don't know who he's Because he's now for. come out very anti-Trump. Of course, that's kind of easy to do once you've you've yeah. got the uh, the upsides of having been attorney general, which I'm sure opens a lot of avenues in terms of private consulting work and all the rest of it. Yeah, but he's, yeah. He's, he's hypercritical now, Trump, isn't he? Yeah, but he's never, I mean, I don't think he's said he was not going to vote for him, you know, so it, it's it's one of these things. And they just keep booking him on the on the talk shows because he'll come on and he presents nice and everything. But, you know, that guy, that guy's, um, you know, he's trouble. He really, he really thwarted uh, the messaging about the Mueller report. And I think it, it really hurt us in the long run because I think if the, if the messaging about that report had been better, if whoever the attorney general was had come out and said, yes, this report is damning, um, as the AG is supposed to do. The attorney general of the United States does not work for the president. He works for the people of the United States. That's It's within the purview of the AG to say, no, we have to investigate the president now. He didn't do that. If he had done that, and if the press had rallied behind it, maybe there would have been an impeachment at that time, and it would have saved us a lot of you know horror. Honestly, we have you know over a million people died of COVID in, in the United States, um, a lot of it due to Trump's neglect. Um, we like to forget about this now and pretend it never happened, but it did. You know, that's twice as many as died in the Civil War, almost. So, you know. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, you put it that way, it's a, it's a staggering kind of point. Um, yeah, so we, you know, we, 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 we went through that period with the, the, the Durham and, and you know, the, these various indictments he had. And, of course, the two cases collapsed. Uh, one of them um, you know, against someone who was supposedly one of Chris Steele's uh, kind of collaborators or whatever. Uh, these cases collapsed. Um, so where do you think the kind of the average American is now on what should be a pretty important question, which is the degree to which uh, the, the apparent head of the Republican Party is in some way in an inappropriate relationship with Russia? Uh, I think people are sick of it. I think that I think the whole discourse has been poisoned. The Republican disinformation streams are so powerful and the media in this country is so, you know, pro Trump and pro Republican, uh, whether not just Fox news either. And, and, and the kind of, you know, overtly partisan channels, but even the New York times and, and the, the way that they frame things on the cable news stations, they both sides everything to death. So people don't really understand the severity of it. If you talk to like academics who study fascism, which I've had a, a, several of them on my show, um, they're all hair on fire and they have been for a while now. Um, so when the people who study Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini are all screaming and yelling from the rooftops, maybe it's time to pay attention. Um, I, I think people are disgusted with politics. There's a lot of, I'm not talking about me. I'm just in general. There's a lot of, um, I can't believe these are the two best people we have. There's always a lot of, oh, the vote is the same. There's no difference between the two parties and that kind of thing. And I understand that level of disgust because it does appear, if you don't know better, that there's just gridlock in Washington and obviously both sides must be to, bl you know, to blame. But that's not in practice, what's happening. What's happening is we have one Democratic Party and one fascist party that's seeking to obstruct and to grab power um, and has no solutions or no proposals for anything other than tax cuts for the wealthy and, um, you know, helping Putin win his war. Yeah. And so let's let's talk a bit about the, the fascism. Um, the I as And this is a little shout out. So if people are listening to this episode and they're not heard, I did an episode um, just a couple of weeks ago with Paul Mason, who is an expert on fascism, and one of the things he said was that uh, you know that the that this thing of if you're looking at world democracy, it feels like the weakest link is the U.S. because of because of this phenomenon. But one of the things that I I still struggle to get my head around is when you see someone like J.D. Vance, who you know the senator of Ohio, he's a military veteran. He he came from what might be seen as a kind of traditional conservative background. Uh, how does someone like that end up being a sort of pro-Russian sort of authoritarian? I mean, it, it's just for, for people who've, who've looked at the U.S. Republicans, you know, you and I are of a similar age. You grow up during the Cold War. The one thing you know about a Republican is that they don't like Moscow, you know. And, and now these people are, they, they, want, they want Russia to win the war against Ukraine. It's, it's, it's 
genuinely hard to get your head around that. I don't know. I can't speak for all of them. And I think that, you know, as with most things, even the Republican Party is not a monolith. Mm -hmm. I think somebody like Lauren Boebert, who hopefully your listeners don't know who that is. Um, <laughs> she's the one that went to see Beetlejuice and got inappropriate. And yeah. you know, she, there are people like her who are just obviously, you know, there for the attention and the fame and stuff like that. And people who like to cause trouble. Um, you mentioned J.D. Vance. He's part of this sort of movement within the movement, as I understand it, um, that's a lot more intellectual and has an intellectual framework. And that part of what he's after, as I understand it, um, and the whole anti-woke thing, um, which, you know, sounds kind of silly on its face. They just call whatever they don't like woke. And they're like, we're not going to woke that, you know, this is woke. But there is an intellectual underpinning to it. It comes from the manifesto written by the Unabomber, of all things, these people have all read this and they think it's great. Um, they want to have some sort of like neo-Roman kind of, you know, emperor type situation come to the United States. And they view Trump not as a great guy, but as a means to that end. So this is, this is my understanding of it. Um, so J.D. Vance might disagree, but I, I, I've read some interviews with him where he talks a little bit about this, this idea of the cathedral where there's this, this kind of, you know, enlightened, almost monarchy kind of situation going on. In the manifesto, the Unabomber uh, writes that when you have revolutions, you're trying to achieve two purposes. The first one is to establish the government that you want, but the, the second one is just to remove the existing government. And usually they don't do the first one, but they do do the second one. They do get rid of the existing government. So that's what ultimately what they would like to do. Um, again, this is my understanding. I've, I've read, I haven't had time to write about this. I really, uh, I've been trying to carve out some time to really sit and put the quotes in and, and do a little bit more research and share. But uh, so it's frankly terrifying because one thing that we in the United States take for granted, anybody my, you know, like I said, I'm 50 years old. Anybody my age is takes for granted that the U.S. will always be what it is. It'll always be a democracy. It'll always be a hegemon or whatever. But, you know, you know, you're, you're a student of history. The, the, this moment of history, the Pax Americana, is so rare. It's such a historical anomaly. The last time this much of, of Europe didn't have wars and weren't fighting each other, you have to go back to the reign of Antonius Pius in like the second century during the height of the Roman Empire. So this is such a fragile, almost unnatural thing. And to have it be actively, uh, you know, destroyed or they're trying to take it down is, uh, is terrifying because we haven't lived in a situation where, you know, we've known lots of war all over the place and, you know, want, you know, from, for real things like food and water and medicine and stuff like that. You know, we're, we're spoiled, honestly. And uh, I think a lot of the, the people in the United States certainly look at politics from a very, very spoiled viewpoint where they're like, ah, whatever, what is the vote? And, um, you know, that's a mistake. And I've been trying for the last seven years to warn everybody that this, you know, these are incredibly consequential elections. And if Trump becomes president again, that's it. It's game over for democracy in this country. I don't think that we were lucky to get through it the first time. It, we cannot withstand it the second time, I don't think. so. Well, on that point, I guess then my, my very last question is sort of, uh, obviously, people such as yourself are, are part of, I mean, some you know people use this word resistance, and then some people are, are critical of it as a term. But I mean, you are, through communicating, through organizing, through all those different things, um, well, what, what can people on the outside, you know, though, we're not Americans, but we, we care. America not being a democracy is, as you've already just mentioned there, very bad news for Europe, for the rest of the world. Well, I think one of the things we can't do, there was this famous case study where the Guardian newspaper got readers to write letters to a swing county in Ohio. And I think it backfired spectacularly because all these kind of snooty, graduate-educated Europeans writing letters to voters in rural Ohio didn't land well. So I, I don't think that's something that, that people can do from the outside. But what, what, what is something that, that perhaps, maybe it's just sign up for your Substack. But I, anyway, but yeah, what, what are your views? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would be a way to start. No, I mean, seriously, though, the information is the key. I mean, just making sure that people understand the stakes. 
you know, and uh, and the stakes there too. The stakes in Britain are high as well. Putin messed up your country too. I always have perceived Brexit and Trump as the same op in different countries, and it hurt both of our countries. And why why did he pick those two countries? Gee, I can't imagine because they're the, you know the greatest democratic forces on earth is why. So uh, you know th- these are important things, and everybody in the United States has to be encouraged to vote. I think that the more people that vote in an election, the more likely it is that Biden holds on. Um, the more young people that vote in the election, the more likely it is that Biden holds on. So, you know, from from a European standpoint, I don't know what what could be achieved there. But if you know anybody in the United States, make sure they're voting. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's critical. And uh, I, I don't think it's a terrible thing to just keep, you know, posting about it and just calling it out. I mean, I one of the things that I've been doing, one of the reasons I wrote my book to begin with, uh, years ago now, is because I felt like the, with Trump, everything moves so quickly. The information moves so quickly. And that's partly by design. It's Steve Bannon's fire hose of news. He wants so many things out there. It becomes really hard for anybody to process anything that's going on. And my, what I've, my approach always has been, I'm not breaking new ground. I'm going back and reviewing everything that has happened and kind of putting the pieces together and reviewing it in such a way that hopefully it makes more narrative sense and people can see, you know, what's happened, why it's horrible and, you know, extrapolate from that what we're up against going forward. So, um, you know, it's serious business and it's depressing to think about and it's not as fun to talk about as like movies and books and, (laughs) and stuff like that. But, you know, at this stage of the game, we have to talk about these things or else we're not going to be able to talk about them ever again. Well, Greg, I couldn't have put it better myself. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Behind the Lines. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for asking me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Lines. If you're coming to this podcast for the first time, please take a look at some of the other episodes in the series, including our emergency release on the terrible events in Israel, a discussion on how to stop fascism with Paul Mason, and a discussion with Russia expert Owen Matthews on the assassination of Yevgeny Prigozhin. If you're not a subscriber to this podcast, please consider becoming one via whichever platform you use to listen. It won't cost you anything, and it means you won't miss a single episode. And if you've enjoyed it, please give us a good review and spread the word. I'll see you next time. Behind the Lines with Arthur Snell has been a Vinyl Street production. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.